You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Corgan. Good morning. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, it is, it's a good day to be at Central. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and starting in verse 10 is where we're going to be this morning. And while you are turning there, I figured it's important for uh, me to share a little bit about myself. Uh, One thing that I hope you all know about me, if you do know me or if you know me for a little bit of time, uh, you know that I love the, the sport of football. Um, I love football. I, I've grown up loving football. Uh, I started playing football when I was in elementary school, and, and it was just something that I just grew really passionate about. But one thing that's, uh, that you probably know about football is that it's a very physical sport. It's a very physical sport. And one thing that I knew about myself, especially at that time, is that I was very small. I was very small, and I had this working against me. Uh, they would actually, like, you'd have to, when I played Pop Warner, you'd have to, you know, weigh in. You have to be within a certain weight range. And uh, I'm going to just air all my dirty laundry to you. Uh, in order to make weight, uh, we, I would tie, uh, actually, my, my mom would help with athletic tape. We'd take a three-pound weight and tape it to the inside of my thigh so that I can make weight. I'd go to the bathroom, take the weight off, go play the game, right? Uh, and, you know, and, but here's the thing. Right when you play, uh, when I was playing football, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be the biggest. I knew I wasn't going to be the strongest. But I did my best to try and make sure that I was the smartest. I tried to be the smartest because I could, I couldn't do, I couldn't do these certain things. So I tried to make up for it in these ways. And what happened is I ended up just trying to. I studied football as much as I can. Even today, I love the chess match of football. I love the I love the the different the competition of of strategy and how complex it can be because if you think about it the game is actually quite simple like the premise right get to the end zone and keep the other team from getting to their end zone and for my Florida State fans the end zone is the colored part on both ends of the field um, in case you weren't uh, just in case you weren't sure about that. Um, that's okay, that's okay. I have a good friend that plays for Florida State. His name's Owen, uh, Owen Four. Uh, but, yeah, sorry. But, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, <laughs> I went better than I thought. I went better than I thought. All right, no. In all seriousness, though, the game of football to me is it's the chess match that I think that makes it so amazing. And in order for the strategies that are put in place by the coaches every week, in order for those strategies to work, every single player on that team needs to understand the objective. They need to understand the mission, and they need to understand their role in accomplishing that mission, right? See, when we're getting here in Ephesians, Pastor Ethan is... uh, Really, the past two weeks, we've been in Ephesians talking about, the first we talked about the faith that we have in God, then last week we talked about unity within the body of Christ, and, and this week I had the opportunity of talking about mission. If you're paying attention, you'll notice that uh, all of these align with our 21 days of prayer and fasting that I hope you all are enjoying. Uh, but we get to the end of Paul's letter here to the church in Ephesus, and we saw last week, we talked about this, the, the need for unity within the body of Christ, and, and then if you continue on in Ephesians in chapter 5, we, we see how we are to glorify God with various relationships that we find ourselves in, whether it be husbands and wives, or employees and employers, and even parents and children. Now, all of these things that Paul has written about are vital to fulfilling the mission that Christ has given us as the church, 
And what is the mission? If we ask ourselves, what is the mission? Our mission is simple. It's Matthew 28. 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the mission of the church. Amen. That is our mission. Our mission is simple, to make disciples of all people. To make disciples of all people. And I hope if you've been at Central for, uh, if this is, isn't your first week at Central, hopefully you have heard that. Right? We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all people. And when I became student pastor uh, here at Central a few years ago, uh, you know, I kind of came in with like these different things, right? You kind of, all right, like, what am I going to do, right? How, what am I going to implement? And one of the first things I thought, all right, well, hey, like, what's our mission statement? You know, like, what's our mission statement? And after a while, I began to realize something, that the mission statement, the mission of the student ministry is the same as the mission of the church. This is the mission of the student ministry is the same as the mission of the kids' ministry and the legacy ministry and the worship ministry and the four Central Florida ministry. And whatever ministry it is, there are no side quests in the church. Amen. There are no side quests. We are all unified in one mission. This mission is not for the professionals. It's not just for those who get paid to do it. If you're a Christian, the mission is for you. Amen. You see that last week Pastor Ethan preached on unity, but we weren't talking unity just for the sake of unity. We're not saying unity just so we can say, hey, we're really united. It's unity with a purpose, unity with a direction. Another thing that you probably, if you know me personally, you know that there are a couple things that I don't handle very well. And one of those things is traffic. I loathe traffic. I can't stand traffic. And really, I mean, it's, it's me and a, hundred, a few hundred of my closest friends sitting in our cars wishing we were anywhere other than where we currently were, right? And you know, it's amazing that in that moment, we're very unified, <laughs> right? In that moment, we're very unified. We all have the same desires. We all are in the same position. But that unity just doesn't bring me a whole lot of peace. You want to know why? Because unity without direction and movement is just sitting in traffic. Amen. And we don't want to be a church that just sits in traffic. We want to be a church that is on the move, fulfilling what Christ has called us to do. See, when you are saved, you have joined into a mission that is greater than you can possibly imagine. Our church does not simply exist for the sake of existing. Our church does not exist for the sake of entertainment or even for philanthropy. Our church exists to glorify God by making disciples. Amen. When we gather, we are being equipped and encouraged to fulfill that mission. Amen. And all these instructions and all the commands that we have in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, and including in Ephesians, all of the commands and instructions we have flow to this main purpose, flow to this main mission. And with that in mind, I encourage you now, hopefully you have found Ephesians 6 in your Bible. You can stand with me as we read from the Word of God this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. You, can be, you may be seated. If you would pray with me, Father, Father, we thank you for who you are. 
God, we thank you for this time. God, I ask that, that you would be with us as we study your word, Father, knowing that, as your word says, that it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that which you have set forth to accomplish. And God, we ask that your word will accomplish your will this morning. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as we talked about, everything that we read in Scripture is flowing and pointing to this main purpose of make disciples. Every instruction and every command we have. And Paul here wants us to, wants to give some final instructions to the Ephesians. He says in verse 10, he says, finally. So it's like this, all right, in light of everything that I've told you. Right? He's at the end of the letter. So in light of everything that I told you, there's some things that you need to remember. In light, and you're, if we're going to accomplish this mission, there's some things that you need to remember. The first thing we're going to look at is point one, the mission is difficult. He says, finally, be strong. You don't have to be a Christian for very long to know that the Christian life is not an easy one. You don't have to be a Christian for very long to realize that being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It can be difficult. Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. If anyone has ever told you that the Christian life is not difficult, they're either not a Christian or they're lying to you. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But here's the thing, though. Why is it so hard to be a Christian? Why is it so hard to be a Christian? Why is it so hard to let go of sin and walk in righteousness? Why is it so hard to point others to Christ while we pursue him ourselves? I believe that there's two reasons for this. But the first reason that we have to acknowledge, we have to understand, is that we are sinners. I hope that's not breaking news to anybody in this room, right? We're sinners. You see, all of us are born with an inerrant problem. We're born with this issue that we are not exempt from. Not a single person in this room or on this stage. We are born with sinful flesh that has sinful desires. We are naturally self-seeking. Naturally self-glorifying. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. See, this is the condition of every human being apart from Christ. Later in this same chapter, Paul will say to the church in Rome, he will say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we're naturally self-seeking and self-glorifying people. If you're a parent or if you have been a parent, you know that we come out of the womb this way, right? <laughs> Selfish. But the thing is, as Christians, we're commanded to be selfless. As Christians, we're commanded to be God-glorifying. We're told that the first will be last and the last will be first. We're told that we should seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And this flies in the face of every natural inclination that you and I have. This flies in the face of all of our natural tendencies. This is beautifully explained in Galatians 5.17. Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, you and I live with a daily conflict. We live with this daily conflict, and that conflict is what makes the mission difficult. See, if you're a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? You have been made new. You are a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
You are no longer dead in your sins, but you have made, been made spiritually alive in Christ. However, you still have a sinful flesh that wages war against the spirit that God has placed in you. And the spirit that God has placed in you wages war against your sinful flesh. So before you were saved, where there was no conflict, all of a sudden there's conflict. All of a sudden there's issues. This is why, for those of us who are Christians, reading our Bible is the thing that we love to do and hate to do at the same time. Why? Because your flesh wants nothing to do with it, but your spirit craves it and hungers for it. And what you feed will grow. You feed your flesh, the flesh will grow. You feed the spirit, the spirit will grow. This is where we find ourselves, this conflict, and that conflict makes things incredibly difficult. Therefore, we must be strong. Being strong is dying to your sinful desires. Dying to yourself. Let me be very clear. It does not take strength to be selfish. It does not take strength to be self-seeking. It's the easiest thing that you and I can do. Why? Because it's the thing that you and I naturally do anyway. True strength is found in laying down your life for the cause of the mission and for the good of others. That's true strength. Not seeking your own desires, but seeking God's. Jesus put it best in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, to live for Christ, you must be willing to die to yourself. To live for Christ, I must be willing to die to myself. But we have another issue, though. Because we've already established that our natural tendency is to not do this. So when Paul is saying, be strong, what, like, okay, like, be strong, so do I just, I grip my teeth and I clench my fists until I'm strong enough to do it? Where does this strength come from? Well, let's continue. Verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, Paul's not simply encouraging the, the Ephesians to be strong. He's reminding them where their strength comes from. True strength is found only in Christ. Amen. The strength to deny yourself is found only in Christ. The strength to endure hardship and trust in the sovereignty of God comes only through Christ. The strength to share the gospel with your coworkers and your neighbors and your family members is found only in Christ. The strength for this church to make disciples of all people is found only in Christ. Amen. Not a pastor. Not in programs, but in Christ. As a church, we can have the greatest programs, the greatest ministries, the greatest outreach events, the best music, the best facilities. But if we as a church are finding our strength in our resources or our skills, then we are worthless. Our strength is not in those things. One of my favorite things that I get to do every year is our student camp called Staycation. It's my favorite thing we get to do. It takes a ton of planning to make it work. You have 130, you know, this past year we had 130 high school and middle school students here 24-7 for a week. And that takes a lot of planning to make sure they don't burn the place down <laughs> or kill one another, right? Or you don't kill one of them, right? 
There's a ton of planning that goes into it. But here's the thing. If we cross every T and dot every I and we nail it to perfection, but God doesn't show up, then we have wasted a week. Our strength is not in those things. And right now as a church, we are in a season of transition. God has already decided before the foundations of the world who the next lead pastor of Central Church is going to be. And during this process, over the next several weeks and months, we will learn who that man is. And during this process, we're going to be tempted to look at a lot of things. We're going to be tempted to look at education and charisma, preaching ability, previous successes, and the whole works. However, none of these things matter if he is not a man that finds his strength in God. None of those things matter. Skill sets do not matter if our strength is not found in Christ. You guys remember the story of Samson in the Bible? Popular story. It's in the book of Judges. Samson was a judge over the people of Israel. And God raised Samson up to liberate the, the people of Israel from oppression from the Philistines. And, you know, so what do we know about Samson? We know that Samson had long hair, right? But also we know that Samson was incredibly strong. That Samson had incredible strength. And the thing is, is that his strength, the Bible tells us that his strength came from God. Right? His strength came from God. Now, if I was to ask everyone in this room, don't do it right now, but if I was to ask everyone in this room to just close your eyes and picture what Samson looks like. If I was to ask you to close your eyes and picture in your mind what Samson would have looked like, we all probably think the same thing. One, right? First of all, beautiful long hair, okay? But, but we also probably picture big muscles, bulging muscles, a big strong man. But let me ask you a question. If he looked like that, why would Delilah constantly ask where his strength came from? Why? I mean, if he had the muscles, then there was no need to ask that question. The strength comes from the muscles. Why? Why, is, why would the Bible tell us that his strength comes from God, but we picture him with strength that we imagine? And the fact is, is that we are so ready to find our strength in anything other than God. If we want to see the gospel shine forth out of this church, it's not going to start with a pastor. It's going to start when every member of Central Church daily finds themselves at the feet of Jesus, finding their strength in him alone. Revival starts in the pews, not the pulpit. I met with a student this past week. We went to Chick-fil-A, and he asked me, because, you know, he knew I was preaching this Sunday morning, and he asked me, do you get nervous preaching on Sunday mornings? I used to, but really not anymore. You know, not anymore. And I told him, I was like, the reason is really like when I'm preaching, my job is to simply like, like God has prepared the meal and I'm a waiter that just gets the meal to the table, right? That's all I'm doing is just present the word, right? Get it there while it's still hot and don't trip and fall. That's, that's the job, right? <laughs> you never see a waiter grab the stuff from the window and start sprinkling salt on it as they go to your table. You never see that. See, as soon as I start to depend on my skills and my whatever wisdom I have, then I have reason to be nervous. But like, as I said earlier, his word will accomplish what he is set for to accomplish. Our job is to simply preach the truth, 
and leave the rest to him. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the mission is difficult. So, so find your strength in God. But not only is the mission difficult, but the mission is spiritual. Starting at verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? That's a great question. It isn't by focusing on the physical. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord by understanding that we are engaged in a spiritual battle and the key to victory is not found in physical things. Amen. This weekend, Kayla and I went uh, to see um, the movie. It's the first time we had seen a movie in, th- excuse me, in theaters in forever. But we went and saw Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings for any of you that are Marvel fans. Uh, it's a great movie, by the way. And uh, there's a part in the movie where they are fighting these creatures. They're fighting these creatures, and these creatures can only be defeated by these weapons that have been forged from dragon scales, right? And there's a point where one guy has, like, this regular weapon, and he's trying to fight this creature, and he just gets worked by this creature, okay? And one of the women looks at him and says, hey, put that weapon away. It's useless here. And sometimes we need to remember that the weapons that we depend on are useless in the fight that we're fighting, If you're going to fight a spiritual battle, you need spiritual armor. And Paul will go on and explain the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. See, a spiritual mission requires spiritual armor. And you could do a whole series just on the armor of God, so we're not going to get into all the details of that this morning. However, I want you to see what Paul says here in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. You see, when we find our strength in God, He does not send us out half-equipped. He doesn't give us half of an armor. Within the entire armor of God is everything that we need for Christians to accomplish the mission that God has given us. There is no shortcoming on God's part. He gives us a full set of equipment. So we desperately need to know that there is not a part of the armor of God that we can afford to be without. In addition, this is not the only time we see the armor of God mentioned in Scripture. Isaiah 59. Isaiah, when he's talking about the Lord, he says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And I think this is huge for us to understand. It's so, man, when I read this, I was blown away that you and I are not equipped with our version of God's armor. Our Father has given us his armor for his mission. See, the breastplate of righteousness is not your righteousness. It's Christ's. Amen. The helmet of salvation is not the salvation that you and I have come up with. It's God's. Amen. We are given His armor. We're given His armor. We're going back to Ephesians 1.3. We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So as a child of God, you and I have an unbeatable armor because we have an unbeatable God. And why is this armor so important? Verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's just acknowledge this. We have a real enemy. 
He's known as the accuser, the adversary, appearing as an angel of light. He is a liar and a murderer. He is the deceiver. He is the lawless one. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The word schemes here in Ephesians is a, has a connotation of cunning and craftiness. Literally, the term means to, to lie and wait. Brings back to the imagery that Peter writes about in 1 Peter 5.8 when he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Spiritual warfare is real. Demons are real. Satan is real. And we cannot be ignorant of how he works. It's been said that the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Why do we emphasize this? Because in our efforts to accomplish the mission, we are going to be tempted to wage war against the wrong enemy. We're going to be tempted to wage war against the wrong things. I picked on FSU earlier, so it's only fair that I pick on my Florida Gators. Now, it's not going to be nearly as bad, so don't worry. But several years ago, during the dark ages of Florida football, Um, There was a play where Florida tried to run the ball to the outside, and it worked kind of, but it didn't work as it was supposed to. And when you go back and you watch the replay, it is glaringly obvious why it doesn't work. Because you have two Florida Gator offensive linemen blocking each other. (laughs) Blocking each other, okay? Blocking one another. You watch the play. It's orange and blue, orange and blue, blocking each other, doing nothing. To make it even worse, they did it again later that year. And when they asked them about this situation, this is what they said, and this like, oh, God give me grace, right? This is what they said, sometimes you don't really see. You lock on to somebody and you just don't really notice who you're blocking. Just two guys trying to play hard and do their job and they happen to get messed up. Hopefully that won't happen again. (laughs) Hopefully. And you, you see that, though? You see that? Like, they couldn't see, so they just started grabbing somebody and pushing them. And that sounds ridiculous. Because it is. But this is how many Christians live their lives. Genuinely wanting to accomplish the task, but having no idea who their real enemy is, so they just start firing off in all directions. Genuinely trying to accomplish the mission, but they have no idea who the enemy is, so they just start shooting off on every direction. Whatever bumps into them, they grab it and they push it. But verse 13 of Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, but, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Please, know who your real enemy is. Know who the real enemy is. And I'm probably going to upset some people with what I am about to say. But your enemy is not in the White House. Your enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans. Your enemy is not people living in unrepentant sin all around you. Your enemy is the one who deceives the nations. And he is perfectly content to sit back and watch you fight the wrong fight. We are called to share the gospel and make disciples of those that are lost. And here we are fighting in the comment sections on Facebook. 
That doesn't accomplish the mission. We're fighting the wrong fights. Now, we don't compromise truth. We stand on truth. But we don't go picking fights with people that we're supposed to be reaching with the love of Christ. And notice the subtle thing in verse 13. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. He's saying, we don't wrestle against this, but we wrestle against this. Do you see what he's doing here? He isn't saying, hey, there's spiritual warfare, join the fight. He's saying, there's spiritual warfare, and this is who you're currently fighting. He simply announces that the fight is happening. Look, you and I are in a battle whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. And if you don't acknowledge it, chances are you're probably not doing very well. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, you know, what battle? Like, I don't see a battle. I don't see a, a spiritual battle going on. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of Christians don't see the battle because they don't go where the battle takes place. We seek to hide ourselves from the, from the battle. We run from the battle. We shrink back from the battle. We seek to shelter ourselves and the, peoples that we, and the people that we love from the battle. As a student pastor, I know that most parents want to protect their kids. And that is an honorable thing. Most parents want to understandably protect their kids from the battle. But you need to know that the enemy is not the culture. The enemy is the one that influences the culture, and he will attack your child no matter where they go to school or where they hang out afterwards. He will attack your family no matter what. So parents, you want to know how you accomplish the mission? Don't hide your kids. Disciple them. I don't say that to say that it is easy because it is hard. But remember, we have been strengthened in Christ to fulfill the mission that he has given us. If you can't make disciples in your home, don't try to make disciples outside of your home. We do not need to fear. Remember that we have been given everything we need for victory if we are in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. We see that the mission is difficult, the mission is spiritual, but the last thing is that the mission is worth it. The mission is worth it. If we skip ahead to verse 18, Paul continues, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And some of you may know this, but some of you may not. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. He's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. He's been thrown in prison for fulfilling the mission. See, fulfilling the mission, again, doesn't mean that your life's going to be great. He's in prison for fulfilling the mission. He boldly proclaimed the truth of the gospel despite its consequences, despite the hardship that would come because of it. But do you see what he asks the Ephesians to pray for? He asks them to pray that words may be given to him in opening his mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which he is an ambassador in chains that he may declare it boldly as he ought to speak. He is, praying, he is in prison asking them 
to give to pray for the boldness to do the thing that put him in prison. He was, he was in prison for proclaiming the gospel and he wants the boldness to proclaim it even more. It did not matter the hardship. It did not matter the sacrifice. Paul was going to proclaim the gospel until his last breath, which he did. In Paul's mind, he probably thought, if they're going to arrest me for preaching the gospel, I might as well be guilty of it. If they're going to arrest me for preaching the gospel, I might as well be guilty of it. Let me ask you a question. Where does this boldness come from? Why would Paul be so eager to suffer for the mission? Because he knew that the mission was worth it. And how did he know that the mission was worth it? Because he saw the effects of the mission on his own life. Paul, talking about himself when he's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. See, all the motivation that you and I need to fulfill the mission is found when we look at the cross, when we look at what Christ did for us. That's where that boldness comes from. He knew what his life was before Christ and what his life was after Christ. Even though his life after Christ had more hardship than before, he, was, he had more joy, more peace, more fulfillment, knowing that his life was in the hands of the Almighty. That's where that boldness comes from. If you're a Christian in this room and you're struggling, how do I find the boldness to fulfill the mission that God has given me? Look to the cross. Remember the boldness of your Savior. Remember what He has done for you and what He has done for me, forgiving us of our sins, making a way that we can be with God for eternity. And if you're in this room, you're not a Christian. Let me tell you, that there is not a sin you have committed that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. Paul says, Christ came to forgive sinners and to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If God can forgive Paul and use him to accomplish the mission in incredible ways, God can use you too. No matter your past, no matter what you're currently struggling with, that there is forgiveness and there is grace in the blood of Jesus and at the foot of the cross. So today, I ask that you ask, you pray what Paul asked the Ephesians to pray. Pray that God would give you the boldness to fulfill the mission. For those of you in this room, you're like, I don't really know how I'm supposed to fulfill this mission. That's okay. Ask God, God, give me clarity on what you want me to do. Some of the most amazing ways to help fulfill the mission and fuel the mission is by doing so in the local church. Volunteer in kids' ministry. Volunteer in student ministry. Serve our legacy adults. Get out there with 4 Central Florida and serve the community sharing the gospel. Go to the nations. Financially give to the mission. There are so many ways. I encourage you to pray and ask God to give you clarity because here's the thing. When you're walking with Christ and you're fulfilling the mission He's given you, no matter what happens, you can say, it is well with my soul. Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that we, God, you have called us to a great mission, a mission that we do not deserve to be a part of, but Father, you in your grace and your loving kindness invite us to join you in. 
And God, I ask if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today will be the day that they buy in to the mission because you bought in first. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are and what you are doing. We ask that everything we say and do as we leave this place would bring you honor and glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.